As we take our uh, road trip through uh, the Bible in 2012 and try to address uh, every major section uh, of Scripture and uh, bring you messages from that, last week we started in uh, the wisdom section of the Bible. And probably the most prominent book in that, or most associated with wisdom, is the book of Proverbs. And we talked about several of those last week. And we talked about making wise choices. I asked you if you desire to make wise choices in your life. And the majority of you seem to respond in the affirmative, that you would prefer... You would like to make wise choices as opposed to unwise, foolish, uh, dumb, or even there's children present, but I'm going to say uh, stupid choices. Because some choices, it seems there's not a better word to describe. So you, you said you wanted to make wise choices, so we talked about, well, then where do you get the wisdom from to inform those choices? If you want to make wise choices, where do you get your wisdom from? We offered some possible suggestions or venues or places where you may be seeking that, but I suggested to you that the number one place to start would be in God's Word. If you want to make wise choices, gain your wisdom from there. Today, uh, we're going to look at one of the wisdom psalms. Uh, most of the psalms are, would probably not technically be classified in, as wisdom uh, literature by, by scholars, but there are uh, many that would, and the, the kind of the difference in that, if you want to kind of know the technical thing about that, is a wisdom psalm is, is normally one that's not addressed directly to God. Instead, it's, it's addressed uh, from the psalmist to his fellow men and women, to his brothers and sisters. And instead of talking primarily about praise to God, it's more of a search for understanding about life and faith. And one of those wisdom psalms is Psalm 73. 73. And I hope if you've got your Bible with you, or if you've got version or some other Bible app on your phone, that uh, you'll follow along and look at Psalm 73 with me. Psalm 73 is not a psalm written by David. Instead, it's written by a man named Asaph, who was one of David's worship leaders, one of his musicians and choir leaders and uh, worship leaders for their worship events and festivals and all that, uh, that went on in the kingdom of Israel. And in Psalm 73, Asaph starts with, a, uh, with an affirmation of of his belief, of his faith, of who he believes God is. He starts right off and just makes this declaration and says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure, to the people that are seeking God, they understand and know that God is truly good. But from right, right after that, he begins to say, But let me tell you a story. I mean, this is what I affirm, but now I need to tell you something about my experience and about my life. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. And what he lays out for us is something that I think is what of a lot of us experience. And it, it kind of goes like this. When, when we're seeking to follow God, which probably the majority of us in this room would profess to be doing so, when, when we're seeking to follow God and obey His commands we can easily find ourselves maybe moving away from that or being pulled away from that. And, and the first thing that, that Asaph really talks about is we can easily lose our focus. 
We're trying to follow God and affirm that God is good in our lives and, and live that out, but we can easily lose our focus. He says in verse 2, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And he tells the reason why in verse 3. He said, because I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. It's easy to lose our focus spiritually when we get our eyes on other people, particularly people who's, who are doing wrong. In, in, our, in our estimation of things, in our judgment of, of looking at what the truth is and what Scripture says, what God says about what's right and what's wrong, we look at people who are doing things that we believe to be wrong, but everything seems to be going okay for them. In fact, maybe more than okay. They seem just fine not doing what God says is right. In fact, Asaph said it's, it's like they're prospering. I just don't get it, he seems to say. And he says, in fact, he uses the E word. He says, I was envying the proud. Rick Warren says that, that envy is when we resent others and ignore God's goodness to us. We resent others and ignore God's goodness to us. And sometimes we can lose our focus and get envious. But his, his, his losing focus moves on to a, a different level. He begins to get frustrated. You can really see it. And the Psalms are like this. There's so many of them are so very honest. They don't just try to say nice, nice thoughts about God. The, the psalmist often just reveal their heart and who, what's really going on in their lives. And you can see the frustration as it builds. He's, he's talking about, he says, I look and, and it looks like these people don't have any problems. They seem to be healthy and strong. They don't seem to have troubles like other people. They're, uh, they're not plagued with them like I am. They... It seems like they wear pride around their neck like, like a, a necklace and clothe themselves with, with cruelty. And then his frustration is kind of hitting a peak here at verse 7. Look what he says in verse 7. Just kind of boils over. He says, these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. You ever look at some other people and say, man, they just, they just make me sick. They just have, they just have so much. They just, just like they have everything they want. I just don't understand. It's like they just, I've got all this junk going on in my life, all these problems and situations, and I can't meet, can't meet the bills and the obligations that I have, and, and they're calling me on the, on the phone. I got rid of my landline, and somehow they're still finding out where I live, and they're, they're chasing me down. I've got all these problems, and I look over here, and here's somebody who's, who, in my estimation, is not doing the things they should be doing, and they seem to be doing just fine, just great. In fact, it looks like they've got everything. And it's almost as if Asaph is saying to God, what's up with that, God? I don't, I don't, I don't get this. You say I should do all this stuff. You, should, you say that I should live this way. And, and then if I don't, you know, then there's going to be trouble and there's going to be problems. But I look over here, and so-and-so's not doing this, and they seem to be doing just fine. And in fact, he describes the way they begin to act. He says, man, they're scoffing. 
They're boasting. They're strutting. And everybody's looking at them and just drinking in what they say. Sometimes you can look around in our culture, and it seems, it seems that way. Maybe people you know directly. You look in our celebrity world or all those types of things, and people that are doing all kinds of things that seem to flaunt in the face of God, and it seems like they've just got it all, all going on. He's very frustrated by that. So much so that you can see in verse 11, he hits a place where it's, it's almost like if your eyes are so far off on looking at other people and you get so frustrated and you start believing what they're selling that you can come to a place where you wonder if God is even aware of what's going on. Does God even have a clue? In verse 11, it says this, What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Is He even aware of what's going on down here? Does God even... You ever... You maybe wouldn't verbalize that to other people, but have you ever, does, have you ever asked that question? Does God even know what's going on? I mean, if He did, how could He let this be? Do you ever look, do you ever want to ask God, God, can you not see? Do you not see this? Do you not see what this person is doing and how they seem to be getting away with it and everything? Do you not, do you not see me, Lord? I'm trying to be the person you call me to be. I'm trying to do follow the commandments and do what's right. And you not see my problems? How come and why? And it gets to a point where Asaph said, I, it, it just seemed like I was doing all of this in vain. Verse 13, he asked, did, did I, am I keeping my heart pure for nothing? I get nothing but trouble all day long, nothing but pain. Is all of this obedience to God? Is it all just... And he begins to sink lower and lower. I heard a little story once that, the, uh, that Satan was having a, a yard sale. And uh, all of his tools were marked with different prices. And uh, they, were, uh, they were interesting, maybe even if you want to use the word fiendish lot of, of tools that he had for sale at his yard sale. He had hatred for sale, jealousy Deceit, lying, pride, and they were all at, at high prices. It was an expensive yard sale. All of his tools were going for, for high cost. But over to the side of the yard on display was a tool obviously more worn, more worn out than any of the other tools that he was selling. More worn out than, than hatred or jealousy or pride or deceit. But it was also the most costly, the most expensive. And the sign over the tool was labeled in big, bold letters, discouragement. And when questioned about it, the devil said, 
yeah, that tool is more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring down my victims with any of the rest of those things, I use discouragement, primarily because so few people realize that it belongs to me. When we lose our focus, when we start looking at other people's lives and trying to figure everything out about them and what's going on with them and God and where, how that relates to me and why, and we, start, we lose our focus and we start getting frustrated and we start drifting away from what God is trying to say to us and teach us, we can drift into discouragement. and its sister despair. And I've had times in my life when I think, I, no, I don't, I don't know that I'm, I don't think I think in terms of like maybe. I think for sure that the greatest temptation and the one that probably does the most damage to us is despair. When we get to a place where we just are losing hope and losing any belief and confidence that God knows us and knows who we are and where we are and has the best for us and wants the best for us, when we begin to, to drift into a place where we don't have any confidence in that at all, it's a dangerous place. Martin Luther, the... the Reformer and person who, who God used to change history centuries ago was once uh, so discouraged and so depressed over a period of uh, days and into weeks that um, it, was, it was so profound in his life and his demeanor and the way he was living that one day his wife came downstairs from their house and she was wearing all black. And Martin Luther looked at his wife and he said, Who died? And she responded, God has. And he looked back at her and said, God hasn't died. And she said to him, Well then, act like it. Live like it. There's a point in this psalm where Asaph says, you know what, I, I see where I'm sinking, and it's time to get a grip. It's time to get a grip. And, he, and, and in a sense, he says, before I infect everybody else with this virus of frustration and discouragement, it's time that I get a grip. If you look in verse 15, he said, if I'd, really, if I'd have got to the point where I was telling other people all my frustrations and venting on them and telling them my frustrations with God, I would have been a traitor to them. So I tried to understand what was going on, but it was a very difficult task. But I tried to get a grip and see really the way things should be. In a sense, he says, I lost focus and now I need to refocus. How does he do that? In verse 17, he says, then I went into your sanctuary, God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. 
There's something that happens when we, when we refocus on God. You know, and that's one of the main reasons why we are here this morning. One of the main reasons should be why we come together in a place like this, in a setting like this, and you voluntarily sit there and listen to me talk for about 30 minutes from the Word of God, is that you want to refocus your mind and your heart on what's true and who God is. Because for the last seven days, you've been in all kinds of places and situations where that is not what's being fed into your mind and to your heart. And it's so easy to get pulled away and distracted and frustrated and discouraged. And you've, you may have been around a lot of people who don't have the same priorities and relationship with God that you have. And you look at their life and, you, and it's just... And you need to refocus. And when we refocus, one of the first things that happens is we begin to get a clearer vision, clearer understanding. Because we start paying attention to what God says. Uh, in, his, in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman, who is a, a Nobel Prize uh, winning economist, he uses a simple uh, problem, puzzle, to uh, show us the importance of slowing down and paying attention. And when he presents this uh, problem to, uh, to folks, he, he, uh, he says, don't, don't try to solve the puzzle. Just, just look at it and listen to your intuition when you see it. So I, I want to, can we bring that up? Have we got that? All right, look at it real quick with me. A bat and a ball cost a dollar and ten cents. The bat costs one dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? And I read that and I looked at it. And I wonder if anybody else came up with the quick answer that I did. Ten cents. Did you come up with that quick answer? Is that your first? Some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, ten cents, ten cents. It, it, it's, it, when you look at that, that's just kind of what, what immediately jumped out to me. Well, that's easy. It's ten cents. But the distinctive mark of this easy puddle, puzzle is that it, that seems like the intuitive answer and appealing, but it's also wrong. Some of you are really good at math and really quick. If you do the math, you'll see the ball costs 10 cents. And the total cost, if it's, a, if it's, if it's that, then the total cost would be $1.20. 10 cents for the ball, $1.10 for the bat. You follow me? That's not $1.10. Are you computing? The correct answer is what? Five cents. Are you getting it? You're just, you're just lost, aren't you? Pay attention. Focus. If the ball cost five cents and the bat cost one dollar more, it costs what? A dollar and five cents. And the total is a dollar ten. Oh. <laughs> Okay, take that slide off. People are getting a headache. I can, I can see it happening. You know what? If you got this wrong, don't, don't be too discouraged. Because Dr. Kahneman, in his research, says that more than 50% of students at Harvard, MIT, and Princeton gave the wrong answer. And at less, uh, less prestigious uh, 
uh, selective academic schools than that, over 80% of students failed that, that puzzle. And he says that the thing is, it doesn't depend on your intelligence as much as it depends on our willingness to slow down and focus intently and pay attention. Throughout the Bible and, and in the, the tradition and history of the church, there's been a lot of people that have tried to emphasize how important it is to slow down and focus intently and pay attention to God's Word and to our walk with Christ. But that doesn't always, in fact, rarely does that come naturally to us, does it? That's why it's so important for you to take time daily, weekly, to stop the other stuff you're doing and, and, and take in God's Word, to stop and focus and, and pray and just consider who God is and what He's done for you. That's why it's important that on a regular basis we come here to worship so we can be reminded of who God is and what's true and what we're trying to hold on to. And when we do that, the end game gets much clearer. And, and the whole thing that, that Asaph started about being so frustrated about, looking at other people's lives and seeming like everything was going great for them, even and especially the ones who weren't following God, things get a little clearer when you stop and focus and he saw that in verse 18 it says, Truly I see now, God, that you put them on a slippery path. And they're going to end up sliding over a cliff to destruction. In an instant, everything they have is going to be destroyed. Completely swept away. All of a sudden the end game gets a little clearer. We start to get a little bit of an eternal perspective. And Asaph said, when you realize that, why do I get so all messed up and torn up inside? Verse 21, 22, he, talk, he says, Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. And he says, I must have seemed like a senseless animal, senseless animal, God. And I realize now that it's just not necessary for me to freak out. It's not necessary for me to get so frustrated and get my eyes so far off of you that, I, that I, I lose sight of who you are and what's really true and what's going to last for eternity. And he collects himself, and in verse 23, look at this, he says, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You're leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth and when he calms down and gets his focus back on God what begins to happen in him is a totally different thing from this desperation that you sense in the first part until you see him in verse 26 with renewed peace and strength renewed peace and strength where he says my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak but God remains the strength of my heart, and He is mine forever. Would you read that with me? Just affirm it with me. My heart, my health may fail, 
and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart, and He is mine forever. And he concludes this psalm with this reminder to all of those that would listen to him, a reminder that God is sovereign. God is over all. He is the ruler. The creator, the Lord, the ruler of the universe. He's in control. He said, as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. That's a big contrast from being in that place where you're thinking all of this is in vain. There's no point in it. Other people don't, don't do what's right and they get away with it. And It's a big difference when you refocus and recognize who God really is and what He brings. You know, the, the root problem that... Uh, that is being shown in, in this psalm is, is one that uh, is, well, it's, it's pretty much epidemic. I mean, it's widespread. And pretty much all of us here have uh, dealt with it, experienced it. The, the root problem that's going on here is, is just getting our eyes off of God and onto other people. Getting our focus off of God and on others. Concerned about what they're doing, what, what, what's going on. Am I, do I have the same things other people have? Do, comparisons and all of those kinds of things. And, and losing our focus on who God really is. Allowing what's happening in other people's lives and what they're doing to have greater influence on us and impact on us than what God says is true and right and what He's revealed to us through His Word and confirmed to us many times in our experience when we put our trust in Him. This is a problem that, that was addressed by Jesus uh, often. I, I thought... Um, I was thinking about it this week in, in several instances of Jesus kind of dealing with this whole issue of not having your focus on him, but instead on others. And, and, and I just want to run a few examples of those by you, one from each of the Gospels. In, in Matthew chapter 15, there's a moment when the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law are, are looking at Jesus' disciples and observing them and what they're doing. And they come to Jesus and they say, why do, why do your disciples break our age-old traditions? Why do they fail to correctly, ceremonially wash their hands before they eat? Now, doesn't that just sound like something that's... Does that sound like something that's extremely important? When you're in the presence of the Messiah and you're worried about how somebody washes their hands. And Jesus' response to them was, you know what? You're just like a lot of other people. And he quotes uh, one of the prophets and says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far 
from me? Where's your heart focused today? In Mark chapter 10, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, two of the ones that he called out of a fishing boat, and they've been with him now for quite some time, and Jesus has begun to reveal to them things that are going to happen. And James and John come to Jesus, and they say, Hey, Jesus, uh, we want you to do us a favor. Here's the favor we're asking. When you come and sit on your throne, we want to sit on your left and your right. When you sit in the big middle throne, we want to be in the medium thrones on the left and the right. Would you, would you do that for us? And Jesus says to him, you don't know what you're asking. And he reveals to them saying, you know what? What you're looking at in terms of success, according to the world, that there's a whole different definition of success in the kingdom of God. When you have the right focus, you'll see that that's not the important place to be. Instead, he said to them, whoever wants to be first must be a servant. And he said to them, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist's disciples have a legitimate question. They've been hearing John talk about the one who's going to come after him. And, and so they, uh, they come to Jesus and they say, are you the one? Capital O, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus told them what? He said, you go back and you tell John what you see here. You see that the blind can see, that the lame can walk, the deaf can hear. And you go back and you tell him. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 23. You go back and you tell John this. God blesses those who do not turn away from me. And I would say that to each one of you today. If there's anybody here and you've got your eyes on the wrong thing, the wrong place, the wrong people, and you're wondering if this is all, this whole Christian thing, this whole following Jesus thing is worth it. I want you to hear those words of Jesus today. He said this. God blesses those who do not turn away from me. Last one, last example of this. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and this is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. It's after the resurrection, post-resurrection time. Jesus appearing as he did to, to many people, bodily resurrected. And he's on the shore of the lake having breakfast with Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter's response is, of course, yes, yes, I love you. Sure I do. Jesus asked him that question two more times, really, really trying to get, to, do you really love me? More than just words, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter tries stronger and stronger to affirm, yes, yes, Lord, I love you. 
And then Jesus tells him, well, then I've got something for you. It's not going to be easy, but I want you to follow me. And Peter's like, yeah, I, I want to follow you, Lord, but what about, but what about, and it says he points at the disciple Jesus loved, in other words, John is who he's referring to. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And Peter says, yeah, I'll do that. But what about, what about John? What about him? What are you going to ask him to do? What does he have to do? What about him? Jesus basically said to Peter the same thing that I think he would say to you and me today when we're constantly saying, Lord, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? When Jesus is saying, you follow me. You follow me. And we're saying, yeah, I will, but what about? He says, listen, Peter, you mind your own spiritual life. And I'll take care of John. And that's what I'd say to us today about anybody else that we're tending to get our eyes on and it's getting us distracted from what it really means to follow Jesus. And we're worried about what's happening with them and what... The choices they're making, and they, well, it seems to be okay. And I don't know what about. And I've got this. Jesus would say, "Listen, look in my eyes here. You follow me, and I'll take care of them." Do you remember when, uh, when you were little, and um, your mother uh, used to say to you, "Don't." Don't eat that candy before supper. Or don't eat, you, you can't have those cookies before supper. Why, what was the philosophy behind that? Why would they say that? You'll ruin your supper. You'll ruin your next meal. You'll ruin the nutritious meal that uh, you're supposed to have. And, and the trouble with eating sweets and candy and all that before the meal is, you know, that it, it, especially for kids, it gives them a sugar buzz and a little sense of feeling temporarily so they don't really think they're hungry. And, and the candy, the sweet part masks the fact that, that your body needs real protein and vitamins and all of that. And the, the sugar buzz masks the, the, the hunger for the, the real nutrients that our bodies need. There's all kinds of things in life, all kinds of choices that, that people make and things that, that they do, chasing after things and trying to find joy and pleasure in, in all kinds of things, power, money, success, sex, and all kinds of things like that. And there's a little bit of an analogy here, I think, where those those kind of things and everybody what what we're chasing when we're chasing those things is we want feel-good stuff we want favorable circumstances and sometimes we'll compromise what we believe because it seems to make our momentary circumstance better that's why sometimes we don't tell the truth because we're afraid that if we tell the truth our circumstances will be worse and when we do that when we're chasing after that it kind of acts like that spiritual sugar buzz to where people would, would you know, sure, I believe in God, and I, 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 I do good stuff most of the time, but, 
They're actually basing their day-to-day joy on favorable circumstances. And when the circumstances change, where's our focus? And today, if your circumstances aren't so favorable, and I'm sure that applies to a number of us, Don't focus or chase after anything other than God. Because at best, at best, it's just going to give you a little sugar buzz. And then you're going to wind up minutes, hours, days later, still very hungry for something real and something true and something that will really last in your life like the grace of God. We oftentimes think that we need or we want what others have. And we get our focus off of God and onto others and their lives and their favorable circumstances. And I would just say that today's a day when God is calling all of us to get our focus back on Him and who He is and what He's done for you and what you can trust and believe He'll continue to do if you follow Him. Lord, I I thank You today for Your Word and, and the truth that it brings to us. I thank You for the honesty that we find in Scripture. Lord, I thank You that that You inspired Asaph to write down his story one day poetically and he admitted to being lost and frustrated and discouraged and he admitted Lord that that his eyes got off of you and that he was looking at others and wondering about their life and their circumstances and losing track of who you were and what was really true And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be honest before you. And if we've lost our focus, if we've lost our our recognition of who you really are, and if we've somehow forgotten what you've done for us, the difference that you've made in our lives, the forgiveness that you've offered us, if we've forgotten the many times that you've provided and done miracles in our lives. If we've forgotten any of that, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to get our, our hearts and our minds back on you. It would result in us being grateful. It would result in us being confident in you. It would result in us making the sovereign Lord of the universe our shelter and having the renewed peace and strength that come from that. I pray that that would be the case for us today. In Jesus' name. You have uh, prayer cards in your worship folder today. If you want to fill those out and bring them forward here in faith today. As we sing in a moment, if you want to come and kneel and, and pray. If you need to get your focus back on who God is and what He really means in your life. Today's a good day to do that.
And I would hope that one of the things that would result for us here today is that we would, we would gain a sense of gratitude, renewed gratitude to God for all His goodness to us. There's something that happens when we're truly grateful that gives us a clearer perspective about how good God is and why He's worthy of following and trusting. So you think about that today. Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's be renewed in our focus. Let's stand together.